Sometimes you turn me back to the wind But the world outside will be dark and cold Where blues won't harm you anymore With a breath of freedom and love and soul Come ride with me to the distant shore We won't hesitate Break down the garden gate There's not much time left today Radio, you're on 9:10 a.m. The Superstation. I am Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. Great to have you on the program today. Car Radio is on every Saturday, noon to two, for the best car show in all of Michigan, and we have a great show for you today. As always, uh, we will be talking to Bob Broderdorf about the Roadkill Nights, which has been confirmed for this year. Life uh, feeling very normal now, as uh, we. Look forward to the Dream Cruise Week uh, Roadkill Nights sponsored uh, or powered by, I should say. Uh, Dodge uh, always kicks off Dream Cruise Week. Uh, August 13, 14 is the Roadkill Nights uh, date this year. Uh, we'll be talking to uh, Bob Broderdorf at Dodge about that. Uh, we will also be talking to Joe Wiesenfelder over at Cars.com. They put together their annual Made in America index for vehicles made in the United States. There are about 90 of them. Uh, really interesting uh, to go through and see uh, where all the content comes from in the vehicles made in the United States. We'll also be talking to Manny Katakis about Jeeps, James Taylor about climate, uh, Dan Calhoun about the Honda Civic, and much, much more. So great to have you on the program. Give us a call here, 313-778-7600, if you want to join the conversation. And to kick things off, we got Bob Broderdorf on the line. He is the head of, of operations for the Dodge brand, also Alpha's brand manager. Bob, how are you? I'm doing great. How have you been? Yeah, doing uh Pretty good. Uh, exciting news from you guys this week, uh, bringing Roadkill Nights back. Uh, you guys kind of took the year off last year. Great to uh, great great to uh, have that event back in play. Uh, uh, tell us about it. Yeah, we're excited to be back. Obviously, last year made it virtually impossible to pull it off, but this year I think uh, really all the parties involved are rallied together, whether it's the city of Pontiac. Uh, you know, the mayor there, along with the people at Roadkill and Motor Trend and the Dodge brand. It was great to see our enthusiasts want us to come back. And on August 14th, to kick off the week of uh, Woodward Dream Cruise, we'll be back at M1 Concourse in Pontiac, ready to go. So we're uh, expecting all the same normal circus and excitement that you would expect in the past, plus a whole bunch of new activities. So uh, so last year, I mean, this this event is, is all outdoors. Um, you know, and I remember last year as we kind of, Came into the summer, we were uh, obviously it was it was difficult uh, with with all the uh, townships involved in the Dream Cruise, um, and, and ultimately sort of the the, the big uh, the big players dropped out. Ford uh, dropped out of their uh, Mustang Alley down in Ferndale. Um, uh, Chevrolet's got a big uh, display uh, along the Dream Cruise route, and then you guys anchor things. Up there at uh, M1 Concourse, uh, North Woodward, uh, with with, uh, with your cars and with his show, was it was uh, was Michigan unusual in that regard? I mean, were you guys able to do uh, Dodge events elsewhere in the country, like Florida or Texas? 
Yeah, there wasn't too many events that we did. I, I think for, for us, the initial phase of, if you want to let's call it February on, that, that beginning six months, I think all of us were just learning. Like, what, what yeah. can you do? What's appropriate to do? How do you keep people safe in the same same line? I mean, we obviously give amazing car experiences, but uh, COVID is a new challenge. So I think for us, I think it was good learning to, to wait and pause a little bit last year. And then obviously we've all had time, and I think all of us can execute something that people are uh, going to be happy with and excited about. And it's good yeah. for all of us to get out of our house and go do something fun. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's so fan friendly. I mean, it's uh, you guys take over Woodward Avenue, which is extraordinary to do drag racing. But you also got M1 Concourse right adjacent to you, where you can do a lot of uh, fan engagement stuff. It, it, it's really a nice marriage for M1 Concourse for you guys, isn't it? Yeah, they've been phenomenal partners, and I think the property specifically, and, and when you combine that with the access to Woodward right there. It's probably a perfect venue. There's probably not too many places, you know, on the planet that you could pull off an event like this on street legal drag racing on an iconic road like Woodward and still have access to the facility at M1 and put together thrill rides and, you know, a music festival and just merchandise and every single type of activity that we got there. You would never be able to pull this off without such a uh, really big foundation to build off of. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's a wonderful marriage of public and private there right on Woodward Avenue. Um, so uh, we we had a press conference yesterday as you guys uh, announced this, um, uh, and, and Mike, Finnegan, Mike, Mike Finnegan, who is one of the hosts of Motor Trends uh, Roadkill, uh, he commented, he, he thought that this strip of Woodward Avenue is probably the most diabolical drive, uh, a drag strip in the United States, it's crowned. It's got cracks. Um, have you been down that eighth mile yourself? Yeah, there's there's no question. Uh, I've definitely been down there, and uh, yeah, I think for a, um, a traditional, you know, hardcore uh, racer and, and, and enthusiast like like the Roadkill team is, I mean, they're used to driving on some pretty, uh, I'd say, reputable drag strips, and to actually take that type of approach and actually apply it to a normal everyday public road definitely presents different challenges than maybe what they're used to. So for from a, a drag racer throwing down 1,000-horsepower cars, yeah, that's a crazy environment to be driving down. And I think that's part of what the allure of the event really is all about. <laughs> one, of, one of my uh, favorite features of this event in, in past years, this is the sixth year you guys have done this event, is uh, you guys would actually bring in uh, Leah Pruitt. Now her name's Pruitt, I believe, uh, formerly Leah Pritchett, a uh, very good Top Fuel Dragster Racer. You bring in Leah and Matt Hagen in, in uh, Mopar uh, Dragsters, and they would run down this thing. And I, I thought, man, that is that is pretty bold. Uh, um, you guys aren't bringing them in this year, but you got a um, special grudge match uh, going. Uh, talk about this grudge, grudge match uh, drag race. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, part of our, our, our partnerships and, and really somebody that I thought was a very interesting person for Roadkill uh, was Eric Malone from the Fastest Cars in the Dirty South. And uh, he he was up for a challenge of, let's call it, TV personality versus online influencer personality. And you've got sort of two schools. Like, you always see these guys on TV, and you're like, hey, is, is this for real? Can these guys actually bring it on a normal, everyday strip? And then you see those weekend warriors that are building their channels online. 
and, and the idea came up of what if we pitted four online enthusiasts, there are, I should say enthusiasts, and influencers with legitimate following, with legitimate build experience, that are capable of building phenomenal race cars, and what if they went up against a TV personality like Eric that, that specializes his show on going into your backyard and kind of doing it your way and taking you on head-to-head? And I thought it was a perfect marriage for Roadkill, uh, and, and we're going to do that. So we've announced that Eric is going to be there. He's going to take on the winner of our uh, Influencer Challenge, and we're in the process of finalizing four phenomenal contestants with huge followings to go up against them, and we're really going to see what the online community versus the TV show personalities are going to be able to bring on Woodward. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And you know those guys are going to be uh, chattering at each, uh, each other over social media. So um, so it's going to be uh, four online guys, uh, Eric Malone, the um, TV host um, of uh, – of uh, the dirty, what, what, what's, what's his show called? You, uh, dirty of the, the dirty uh, south. Dirty south. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a riot. I love Eric Malone. Um, and and are you guys are are you guys giving them Hellcats to modify, or you're you're giving them ten thousand dollars, and then they can bring anything they want? Yeah, we're we're going to do both. Uh, so we're going to give them each a Hellcat. So we're going to distribute the five Hellcats across the four enthusiasts and Eric. And then we're going to give them each $10,000 of startup money. And really the only rules that are going to be out there is block the blower and really hold the integrity of a charger or challenger. Otherwise, there are no rules. This is old school street racing. You do what you got to do and let's make the fastest car possible. So I think these guys, given their backgrounds, are going to get incredibly creative. Uh, I definitely expect some big horsepower, probably going to add some traction, some light weighting, and let's see what these things can do. <laughs> and these will be uh, what seven seven hundred and ten horse uh, or seven hundred and uh, what, what's that Hellcat up to now these days? Ninety seven uh, red eyes that these guys are going to be running with, and uh, I think they're going to be uh, they're having some fun with that because you you take that kind of power and you put it in these guys' hands. I think these things are going to be uh, pretty incredible when they're done. Oh wow! So they're starting with red eyes with seven hundred ninety seven horsepower red eyes. Correct. Yeah, that's crazy. I, but yeah, Malone was telling us yesterday uh, he's he's definitely going to get his up to a thousand horsepower. So <laughs> you can see this thing uh, uh, getting crazy real fast. So uh, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a, a neat high, highlight. Um, uh, other than that, you've got uh, the standard uh, invitational. I think out to 120 uh, cars. What what do they look like, and what classes are they in? Yeah, so we do a, we're going to run a big tire and a small tire. We'll have 120 total participants, and our fans can expect registration to open up in the beginning of July. And from there, we'll pretty much do the, uh, really the best of the best. You know, we'll pick from the registration, and they'll get a chance to run right there on Woodward with all the rest of the uh, influencers and the celebrity talent. So it, it's really it's a phenomenal venue. It's great to watch people uh, kind of head on down the road. And uh, I think the fans that show up, I think they're going to have a, a great experience overall. So it's, uh, it should be really a great day. We're looking forward to a phenomenal event. Now, I think you guys, uh, you do it as a two-day, right? The gate, do the gates open on Friday? Folks can come into M1 Concourse, do some rides over there, and then, and then, uh, and then the, the actual drag racing is on Saturday. Yeah, we, we did that two years ago. Um, this year, obviously, coming off of COVID, but we're just going to put all our energy into the one day on Saturday the 14th, and we'll open up early at 10 o'clock, and I would expect race until probably 9 p.m. 
is uh, what the agenda looks like. So it, it's all focused on Saturday, August 14th. Okay, that's, yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, I, I um, uh, promoted the Detroit News yesterday the the thirteen fourteen uh, date. So this is all on uh, Saturday, August fourteenth. Yeah, gates open at ten, and uh, and and so f- folks have a full day going into the night, right? I mean, this the drag racing will go on in the evening. You guys will you guys will stay open as long as there's daylight. Yeah, we uh, we usually run as really as long as we can possibly go, and we try to jam pack really an eventful day. So it should uh, people people have all day to come out there and check it out and see some pretty incredible cars. So uh, Bob, uh, go go through our your Dodge lineup these days. The the you, you guys have had introduced so many iterations of the Hellcat, not only in the in the um, Challenger but also on across SUVs. Uh, I, I don't believe this uh, 717 horsepower Challenger is available. Correct me if that I'm on, if I'm not wrong, but tell me what Hellcats are available right now to folks in the showroom. Yeah, so as far as uh, I tell you, on the showroom, obviously coming off of COVID, we're we're selling really as fast as we can. So ramping up production has really been a uh, this most significant challenge given the chip shortages in the industry. But for us, for 21 model year, it was really the purification of the brand. We were rallying everything around Charger, Challenger, and Durango. All three vehicles have 700 plus horsepower available in them, and then you know each of them feature really uh, what I'll call it the bread, bread and butter of the lineup with our Scat Pack that 485 horsepower Charger and Challenger, uh, that's really been the, the volume piece, and, and we're just selling them so quickly. It's such a great value proposition for that raw horsepower at such an incredible uh, price point. But, yeah, we've, we've got the whole lineup intact, and I think, uh, I think it's, we're, lo- we're looking strong overall on where it's at. I think we've been very clear and focused on what we're trying to bring to the marketplace, uh, just focusing on muscle cars, whether or not uh, really approach is to um, – you know, UVs or, or to our traditional muscle cars. So I think the lineup is strong right now, and I think we've we got a lot to build off of in the future. And, and walking away from some of the more traditional nameplates in the brand, I think let's just be very focused in what we're trying to do and offer some pretty uh, really incredible vehicles. Well, I, I tell you, the most recent Hellcat I've driven is the Durango SRT Hellcat. I've always been a fan of the Durango SUV because it's got a big third row. I'm a big guy, six foot five guy, and I always tell folks uh, you can actually sit in all three rows of that SUV, which is not always the case, but then you stuff uh, 710 horsepower in it, and it's a, it's a whole different animal. You think, you think somebody might bring a Durango Hellcat to Roadkill Nights this year to drag race? Oh, it wouldn't surprise me. I, um, you, the, the array of products that we actually get there, uh, it's pretty amazing, and honestly, I think uh, I think that all-wheel drive configuration, uh, given even, even given the weight of the Durango, I think it'll throw down a ridiculous time. Uh, I think it'll be bring you a perfect setup for Woodward, where you're trying to get that extra traction really over that eighth mile. <laughs> so yeah, it may be surprising to see one of those go down the line at all. Yeah, yeah, maybe somebody will bring a uh, a Jeep uh, Grand Cherokee Trackhawk, which has the same engine. I mean, wouldn't that be great to see those two drag race each other uh, down that strip? Yeah, there's no question. You talk about two rare type of approaches to products. Um, certainly those uh, got the huge engine, huge horsepower, still the refinement of the vehicle and off-road capability, but certainly can throw down a great time. So that was, And that's just another example of the kind of fun that we'll have uh, there on uh, race day. 
And uh, and also just uh, to clarify, I just also want to make sure the our, our influencers will end up getting uh, Hellcats. They're going to be starting with that 707 horsepower, not red eyes. But um, but yeah, they're uh, our influencers are going to have really an amazing time overall and turning those cars into probably thousand horsepower plus cars. Yeah, it's, uh, that's good to know. And of course, uh, there'll be. Dodge is littered all over the M1 property there. People can uh, ogle those as well as jump in and uh, take drift rides with them. Uh, you, you are also the uh, the brand manager for Alpha, uh, one of my favorite uh, brands. I'm a huge fan of the Alpha uh, Julia sedan. Uh, how's Alpha doing these days? Well, yeah, I tell you, the, uh, from my position, uh, I definitely uh, enjoyed Alpha. I actually just uh, just recently literally as uh really just about a month ago um just decided to um when we changed over Stellantis, uh i've now uh, been the interim manager of chrysler and dodge and uh we sort of passed the baton up that to the uh, next regime on alpha but uh overall i can tell you my my time working on the italian performance cars whether it was maserati or alpha uh i think they've we, we've really been able to stabilize the brand improve the overall quality and the experience at the dealership and, and you're starting to see uh, I'll, I'll say the changes to the, the 20 and 21 model year lineup definitely improves the overall experience of the car. And I think the advanced tech that we added to the, to the products, along with the great performance and handling and really Italian approach, I think is really offering a phenomenal, um, you know, combination of things for, for the customer to experience what Alfred Mail is all about. So I enjoyed my time there tremendously. Uh, it was a fun project to uh, to work on, and uh, very proud of what we were able to do over that uh, three-year period. And uh, I think the brand's in great hands as we go forward. But yeah, my time going forward is going to be all focused on the American brand, and that really came down to the new structure of uh, Stellantis. Yeah, and, uh, must must be uh, very busy over there these days, uh, taking care of that uh, merger. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I hope I hope you bring uh, hope hope we bring some of the uh, the French folks over there to uh, Roadkill Nights and uh, and uh, show them some real American drag racing. I think they'll have a ball. Yeah, I tell you that that's been a, it's been a fun partnership, and you know I've I've been working on the Chrysler side of the house for the last 22 years, and quite honestly, I'm really excited about the the people that we've got involved with the future of these brands. You know, these are car guys; these are people that are into it. Mr. Tavares is very much into the automotive world, and uh, our leadership team is really going to allow us to do some great things. And uh, showing, I guess, my uh, French colleagues what American muscle is all about, uh, just seeing their reaction of what a Hellcat looks like and how it performs has been uh, has been a lot of fun. So I think they're overwhelmed at just the size and the strength of these vehicles. <laughs> yeah, they're they're really special. They they truly define American muscle. Well, Bob uh, Broderdorf, uh, head of Dodge operations. Uh, and Chrysler brand. Appreciate your joining us today and look forward to seeing you up on Woodward in August. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you and uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, appreciate the time with all your listeners as always. All right, we're going to uh, take a break here and hear from our sponsors. Uh, but a reminder, uh, just, just to look forward to, uh, as Bob said there, uh, August 14th, put it on your calendar. Uh, we're, we're back in business with Roadkill Nights powered by Dodge up on Woodward and, and uh, M1 Concourse. Uh, it's a tremendous day up there, and that will officially launch Dream Cruise Week later this summer. You're on Car Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi. 
is Vonda Vonda's Law. Have you or your family members been seriously injured in a car accident? Charged with a crime? Convicted of a crime? Denied an insurance claim? Going through a divorce? Need a will and more? Give us a call today at Vonda's Law at 1-833-VONDA-LAW. Again, that number is 1-833-VONDA-LAW. And let us fight for you. The Detroit Affordable Housing Task Force is a monitor and advocate of affordable housing in the city. The task force makes policy recommendations through our city council host office president pro tempore, Mary Sheffield. The task force is a narrative tool for low-income residents to make their voices heard and to hold our elected officials accountable for the solutions to Detroit's affordable housing crisis. We are inviting you to the Solutions to the City of Detroit Housing Crisis Part 2 on Saturday, June 26, 2021 from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. The special guest speaker, Brandon Snyder, Executive Director of Detroit Action. Zoom information. Meeting ID 834-620-54701. Passcode 182465. Phone 1-646-558-8656 or 834-620-54701. We all know Detroit families deserve a place called home that they can afford. You can contact us. Email Detroit Affordable Housing TF at gmail.com. 313-969-9115. We thank you and we will see you on Saturday, June 26th at 1 p.m. Join WFDF 910 AM Superstation as we will be bringing you the Rocket Mortgage Classic from the Detroit Golf Club. Listen live as returning champion Bryson DeChambeau plays against Ricky Fowler, Bubba Watson, Phil Mickelson, and the rest of the field. Tune in Thursday, July 1st and Friday, July 2nd from noon to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Saturday, July 3rd and Sunday, July 4th from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. You can only listen to the Rocket Mortgage Classic on 910 AM or Sirius XM Radio. We're on car radio with Henry Payne on the line with us. Cadillac Racing Program Manager, Laura Clouser. How are things looking down there at Daytona Raceway? We've got a little bit of everything. The NASCAR theme, an XF1 driver, of course, IndyCar. And then the Insta crew that does really take the machine and show everybody what it's made of. Talking to Jim Morrison, who is the Jeep Ram Chief. We're happy to report that Grand Cherokee has been still a market leader for five years. We held the highest loyalty. The best car radio program in all of radio. And you can only get it here on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation. The oldest radio station in town since 1922. Mustang Sunny. Uh, Guess you better slow your. Car Radio, you're on 910 AM, the Superstation, and that uh, uh, Mustang uh, intro is very appropriate for our next segment because uh, we're going to talk about uh, the American Made Index, uh, which cars in America have the most American content in them, and uh, Mustang happens to be number two. Our uh, guest is Joe Wiesenfelder. Uh, Wiesenfelder, he's the editor of Cars.com. Joe, how are you? Uh, hi, Henry. I'm executive editor. I don't want to. I don't want to. Anyone's nose uh, been out of joint. 
uh, I'm not uh, staging a coup, but it's, uh, uh, you're right. It is, uh, the Mustang is number two on the list this year, the American Made Index, uh, based on a number of factors. It's not just uh, um, the content. We also look at um, uh, four other factors. I mean, obviously, to be on the list in the first place, the, the vehicle has to be assembled in the U.S. Um, that's just to get through the, the door. But we also look at country of origin for the engines, country of origin for the transmissions, and there's also a, a manufacturing uh, workforce component. And what we're trying to establish is the models that contribute the most to the American economy, regardless of their brand, because brand is kind of simple to, to figure out. You know, most people know, you know where a brand is is headquartered, though that might actually make a, an interesting quiz for some people. Uh, but it's much harder to tell where some of the models are assembled and how much they contribute. So that's really what's behind the list, as we've discussed in, in previous years. Yeah, it's really a, uh, it's a fascinating uh, list. It, it just shows you how incredibly diverse the uh, U.S. economy is with uh, not just the Detroit 3 automakers, but all the transplants that have come into this market over the last few decades. Um, you, you note in, uh, before we get to the list, uh, and, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep the uh, listeners in suspense as to who is number one with the Mustang there at number two, um, you, you guys point out in your study this year that there's been a broad decline since um, about the mid 2000s in 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 uh, model in models with high um, uh, American uh, parts uh, content. Why 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 is that? That's simply globalization of the industry. I mean, we started this, you know, um, so many years ago. This is the 16th annual um, index that we've done. We started it. To help people understand this, you know, complex situation where the the the, the brand can be um, a, a domestic and the vehicle produced elsewhere, or vice versa, but it's actually become more valuable in some ways because so many you know the vehicles are produced overseas and imported, whether the brand is is domestic or not. Um, and we actually, from the beginning, we started out with so many vehicles that qualified under the old rules. We had to end up, I think it was about four years ago, changing the criteria because if we use the old criteria where the minimum number of or percentage of um, qualifying um, you know, uh, parts based on American Automobile Labeling Act, you know, North American parts was about 75%, I believe. Uh, if we use the old uh, criteria, we would have had like two models in the list, which had historically been a top 10 list or maybe a top 15 list. Um, and uh, whereas we had started out with dozens and dozens, you know, all those years ago. Uh, so it's just slowly come down, as you say, as globalization has, has taken over. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, so is, uh, and your, your, your criteria, you judge this on five uh, criteria, uh, assembly, parts content, uh, engine origins, transmission, and uh, manufacturing uh, workforce. So that is that's a that's pretty broad criteria. If you if you just took these on parts alone, uh, how many parts would come from uh, within the United States? Seventy percent, forty percent. Well, the number of vehicles with parts above seventy percent are, are quite 
few at this point. It, it's way lower than that. We had to change our um, our criteria, and that's one of the reasons that we revamped the the index. I, like I said, I think it was four years ago, and started looking at these other factors to help, you know, re you know to underscore the American economic impact of the models and make sure we weren't missing anything because it was not driven so heavily by the the parts content or at least not as dictated by the data we had originally worked with. Um, so one of the ways that we do that and also offset the fact that unfortunately the only data available for parts content in that percentage, the American uh, Automobile Labeling Act, includes Canadian parts. So it's really American and Canadian and we offset that uh, to the extent we can with country of origin for all engines and transmissions, which are both highly, you know, labor and cost intensive aspects of any vehicle. Um, and we don't just look at it in, in a kind of a binary sense. Some vehicles have some engines or transmissions from some countries and others from others. We look at that down to a granular level and we, uh, we, you know, base the, the, the factor, the index factor that ends up, you know, dictating their, their ranking, uh, based on that breakdown. So that was, that is one of the biggest changes we made a number of years ago to help kind of, you know, change with the times. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, uh you got about 90 models on the list here. I think, uh, there's 45, uh, final assembly plants in the United States. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly, uh, uh, complicated and diverse industry. Uh, let's let's uh, let's get to the list. So uh, number one is yes, the Tesla Model Three is number one. It was uh, on the list last year uh, at number four, and it has risen. Um, and um, so this is the first time that a plug-in vehicle has been in the number one spot. And uh, last year. Um, like I said, it was it was there before, as have been a, a few other Teslas. Um, the Model Y I'll mention is now at number three. It was not ranked last year because it was too soon. It was a brand new model, and we require a minimum number uh, of, of sales. A vehicle has to be on the market for long enough to to really register. So um, that's significant in its own right, just that it is a a plug-in vehicle. But it's not the first. Uh, or these, the Teslas aren't the first to be, you know, highlighted like this. The first in the top 10 was the Chevrolet Volt, the, the plug-in hybrid in 2018, I believe, which made its appearance when the battery pack for that vehicle uh, moved from uh, Mexico to Michigan. Um, and that made a big difference because if you think about electrics, it's such a substantial part of the value of the car, which is how... AALA, you know, is, is based, uh, comes from that battery pack. And that, that made all the difference then, and it, it clearly makes a difference here, too. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, you know, we hear that conversation in the industry right now that uh, assembly of electric cars is going to be much um, uh, it's going to be much more efficient. There are fewer parts, obviously, than a gas engine drivetrain. Uh, you got dealers uh, looking at their uh, uh, dealer their service models because potentially that means a, a big shift in them in terms of service. Um, is, is that is, is would you say that is the reason for Tesla being having two cars in the top three? It's it it, it is because that drivetrain is so simple. 
Well, I don't think it, it necessarily is related to the simplicity. It's just this is the way the numbers uh, came out. And now, definitely, if uh, those key elements, like a battery pack uh, in particular, were still uh, manufactured for any brand overseas, that, that almost certainly means that that vehicle is not going to appear high on the list because so much of the value is in that pack. Um, but uh, ultimately, it is just the way the numbers shake out. It wouldn't necessarily make the, the Tesla near the top. I think one of the biggest advantages that Tesla has over others right now is it's a pretty vertically integrated company, so it, it scores pretty well in the manufacturing workforce aspect. Um, so uh, that's probably one of, their, one of their advantages over the others. Um, and, and for what it's worth, Ford has a very strong one uh, as well, uh, I, I think. Um, that's why you see the Mustang there. One of the things we thought was, was particularly interesting this year is the, the dramatic change in ranking between uh, the Ranger and the, the Mustang. For example, the Mustang last year was in 34th place. Now it's in second. Uh, last year, the Ranger was number one, and now it's in 28th. So it wow. just goes to show how, well, you know, you know, Ford was pretty tight-lipped on it. They weren't going to say why, and I don't blame them. I mean, I, I, I'm sure, you know, where you source your materials and, and your components is, is considered proprietary, but um, it, you, can, you can see that there's obviously some volatility in where, not necessarily which companies you buy your components and, and, and parts from, but maybe where those components and parts are manufactured. Um, and I think we're probably seeing some of that now with this uh, a microchip shortage. If uh, if if uh, uh, manufacturing capacity is is limited to a degree, um, you got to get your parts where you can get them, and uh, maybe that's what we're seeing uh, uh, shake out here. And this is speculation on my part. Again, I'm not speaking on on uh, Ford's uh, behalf or any other manufacturers. It's just um, uh, that was one that I thought particularly uh, stood out. Uh, we're seeing, you know, changes in, in placement for, of a few spaces here and there for some models. And that's actually something we found from year to year is that the, 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 the index that we've put together has proven to be relatively consistent and, and, and typically changes from year to year look like, uh, no, that makes sense. And you can, we can usually, especially because we know what's going on in the background, we have access to a little bit more data, we go, okay, that makes sense to us. Um, but uh, when we see bigger changes like that, it's, that's what really stuck out to us. Like, that's a pretty big change. Yeah, that's fascinating. The uh, other thing uh, folks will notice in the top uh, 20 of this list, it's a, it's a full list. It's all 90 uh, cars that are, that are manufactured here in the United States. But in the, first, in the top 20, fully half of those are Japanese uh, products from uh, Honda and Toyota, uh, you know, folks think of uh, Detroit 3 obviously dominating uh, Midwest manufacturing, but Honda has uh, Honda and Toyota have huge footprints uh, in this in this country uh, in, in in terms of manufacturing, and uh, this Alabama footprint of, of Hondas is really highlighted in your top ten. You got uh, four Honda vehicles in your top ten coming out of Lincoln, Alabama. Yeah, Honda in particular has been. Uh quite adept at, at building uh, here what they sell here. And that's, 
I mean, frankly, it, 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 it plays well. It's good for a press release, but it's also just good business. I mean, that's why automakers do it. Uh, these are big, heavy vehicles that cost a lot to ship. So it makes sense to, to build where you sell. Um, and especially in cases where Honda and, and Toyota, to, to uh, maybe a slightly lesser extent, have developed vehicles in North America, specifically for North America, or at least mainly for North American tastes. Uh, so, of course, it makes sense to build them here. Then you look at Tesla, which builds the only, I think is the only brand we have that builds 100% of the vehicles sold in the U.S. in the U.S. And that sounds impressive, but, and I don't mean this as an insult or, or praise, it's just in context, it's a brand new, relatively new manufacturer that until very recently built vehicles only in Fremont, California. So it would make sense that they build all of the vehicles here uh, that they sell here. Um, who knows? A few years from now, they might end up with a model that they import from another country. Uh, but uh, as it is, that's how it stands. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought initially looking at this list that maybe uh, uh, small volume uh, cars would be the easiest to peg as having a lot of uh, content. Uh, I mean, the Model 3 is high volume in terms of luxury, but it's a relatively low volume uh, car relative to mainstream brands. Mustangs, obviously low uh, volume. But uh, number four on the list is Jeep, Jeep Cherokee. They're uh, biggest volume vehicle, I believe. So there doesn't, doesn't seem to be any uh, consistency uh, there in the list, whether it's a, a volume vehicle or, or a low volume vehicle. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, ultimately, the, the absolute lowest volume vehicles, uh, automakers, especially lowest volume in the U.S., automakers are not likely to build here because it doesn't make sense, uh, especially because if it's small and light, they can just ship it here. But uh, beyond that, these are, uh, you know, models that, that do well here, uh, regardless of their size. And as, as, as we just discussed, Tesla, you know, all of their manufacturing was going on here, uh, until very recently when they, when they opened up in, in, in China. And as just to take it to the other side, they're, they're about to open more manufacturing in Texas. So it, who knows which way it could go. It could even, even be uh, uh, um, uh, skewed further in the direction they're already going in. Yeah, I, I uh, noticed another uh, kind of interesting development on this list is the Toyota Tundra, which is made in Texas, and San Antonio is number 10 on the list and uh, has more American content in it than the Ford F-150, which is America's favorite truck down at uh, number 29. Uh, <laughs> I would expect Toyota might play that up in a future advertisement. You know, Toyota had made a lot of hay with the Camry uh, many years ago. The Camry was very high in list. I think it was uh, number one at one point. And that's what's interesting is the numbers don't lie. The numbers just tell us what the numbers tell us. And I've had that discussion in, pa in the past in, in interviews with things like the Mustang, for example. Here it is number two, but just last year it was number 34. So whether a, a vehicle is an American icon or not isn't really what, what this determination is about. You can think, you know, that's America, but in the end, if it has, you know, transmissions from Mexico or something like that, it's going to be lower on the list. 
Yeah. The, um, I, I should mention the very bottom of the list. We know what we've been talking about, what's at the top. The very bottom of the list is a Honda Civic, which uh, surprised me a little bit because uh, the Civic is another one of these Honda products um, that has a big American following. Uh, it's made in uh, Greensburg, Indiana. Um, but uh, it, it, they've also uh, closed, I believe, their Swindon, England plant uh, where they made some performance variants. Would you expect, um, well, let me ask you this more broadly. Would you, would you expect any changes in the wake of uh, COVID that maybe there'll be more manufacturing in the United States? Um, it's difficult to say whether COVID will affect things or even this, this microchip shortage will affect things. Um, uh, and one can make the same, ask the same question and, and give the same answer about uh, the new USMCA, which uh, took the place of NAFTA and is still being implemented. It's, it, it's really hard to, 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 to know yet because there's such a slow phase in. Um, time will tell whether the manufacturers will make uh, make changes based on these things. I think ultimately, uh, I would not be surprised to see many, many more electric vehicles being built in the U.S. Um, we already know there's a ha- there are a handful of of, of battery uh, assembly plants uh, already here or in the works um, when there weren't before. Um, and it's that same issue once again. If you're if you're if you're building big heavy things. Uh, for sale in a particular market, you probably don't want to ship them from elsewhere. Uh, and that's part of what plays into this, but not everything. And I'm sure an automaker would give you way more detail uh, on their uh, their thinking when it comes to that, that type of thing. Uh, we do know from our surveys, one of the interesting things that uh, we run every year, that people, because of COVID, were we're actually more likely to uh, favor an American, not necessarily American built, but as we put it, a vehicle that uh, contributes to the American economy. Um, We ask this every year, and according to this year's research, 72% of shoppers are considering the economic impact. Uh, They consider it a significant or deciding factor in their vehicle purchase, and last year, at this time, it was 70%. And last year at this time, the, you know, the, the um, pandemic had already started, but maybe people weren't really convinced. <laughs> but uh, we've, we've had uh, more than a year of pandemic now, and it, it, maybe that uh, influenced how people felt about things, maybe seeing uh, uh, either themselves or their, their, their fellow Americans uh, struggling a little bit more. Um, I don't know. It seems like something has, has changed, certainly. Yeah, so much going on in this industry. Uh, it, yeah, it's great to have uh, this Cars.com uh, American Made Index, and, and we can revisit this every year and look at these trends. Uh, Joe Wiesenfelder, uh, Executive Editor with Cars.com, thanks for joining us. Happy to do it. All right, uh, and, and, and folks uh, who want to dig into this study a little further, you can go online to cars.com. they got the whole study there. It's called the 2021 American-Made Index. Uh, really fascinating to see how, come, how cars come together in this country and just how many manufacturers are here among those 45 assembly plants, uh, Subaru, Ford, the uh, Detroit 3, 
BMW down in South Carolina. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of content, uh, a lot of product in this country. All right, we're going to shift gears a little bit, uh, bring in our good friend Manny Katakis, who is the founder of Muscle Cars and Trucks, uh, and uh, talk a little muscle here. Manny, how are you? Henry, how you doing? Always uh, good to have you on the program, and uh, you shot me a picture the other day of the two cars in your uh, driveway. One was a uh, mid-engine Corvette, and the other is a V8-powered uh, uh, Jeep Wrangler 392. Sounds like you've been having some fun. It's been, it's been a fun couple of weeks, uh, and, and honestly, between those two vehicles, it, it's, it, the funny thing is they're both convertibles, and they're also both Price just uh, between you know they start at, at, at I, I believe I believe the the Wrangler 392 starts in the low 70s, but all optioned out the the two vehicles were like a thousand dollars from each other so like high 70 uh, with with the options and content, and I'm just kind of thinking to myself like these two might be the most exciting American convertibles for seventy thousand dollars that you can buy in the market right now. <laughs> well, I tell you, you, def- you definitely want to have the top down uh, on both those vehicles when you're got when you got your foot foot on the right pedal because those V8s make a glorious sound. I was I, I took some friends for a ride in the Wrangler yesterday and they were just they they were giggling like little kids. It, it was a, a blast. Uh, and then the other thing too, speaking of which, like I, I remember uh, driving down Mac Avenue uh, at Gross Point, and some kids were were outside of a, a an ice cream shop. And I've had the Corvette, and they're they get so the kids get so excited when they see these vehicles, and it's just as like it just makes you feel good because it's like oh you know what that's what this is about like it's just it's supposed to be about having fun and it's supposed to be about uh, you know excitement and you know I think these two vehicles just delivered it in spades. Yeah, and they you know it's it's fascinating, Manny, um, because they're both in. Very small segments, obviously, uh, the the uh, off-road performance segment and the on-track performance uh, segment. But they're, these these are both uh, segments that uh, have seen big changes. Um, in, in the case of Wrangler, you got Bronco coming after it, and in the case of uh, supercars, uh, that, that Corvette at um, whatever whatever price uh, you're looking at there on it, the high seventies. Is every bit as capable as two hundred thousand dollar mid-engine cars uh, coming over here from Europe? So a lot going on in both of these segments. Oh yeah, in, in the case of the Corvette, it's it's kind of the American way, right? We've always um, America's always been able to really bring, commodify whatever it is, whether it's it's, it's when you look at like McDonald's, you look at Costco, McMansions, Corvettes. So, you know, to me, they all kind of like fly in that same sort of category where they can just give you the most of something for the least amount of money. Um, and in the case of Wrangler and off-road performance, that segment has just absolutely, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed it too, just absolutely exploded. You're seeing, of course, with the Bronco, uh, and, and you got to experience it for yourself this week. And then you've got vehicles like Ram TRX, F-150, uh, excuse me, yeah, F-150 Tremor, the new Raptor, the Ranger Tremor, a new Ranger right around the corner, um, and then Chevrolet with the the Colorado ZR2, ZR2 Bison, just kind of out of out of nowhere. The past five years, the the most the flourishing you know performance segment in in my eyes has been off road. It's just been a massive opportunity for a lot of automakers that have 
the capability to build off-road performance vehicles, and you're just seeing them all go in. And, and also, like, you're looking at high prices. Again, the Wrangler 392 comes in at actually priced just above the Ram TRX, which is funny. Um, and it's a $70,000 Jeep Wrangler, right? This thing is supposed to start at, like, the high 20s. And here you have something that's just, like, crazy expensive. But then you put your foot down, and then you hear the noise, and then the, just the performance of it, just this, this raw experience. And, again, doors off, top off. And you, it's just you and the Hemi V8. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it really is a glorious sound. Um, and I, I, I got to believe uh, a lot of these developments coming from Jeep are because uh, they know Bronco's going to be pushing them. I mean, uh, I, I just got out of the Bronco down in Texas. We tested there for the first time. We're going to have a full show on it uh, next Saturday when the embargo uh, comes off. Um, but I, you know, everyone's seen the car. Everybody uh, knows about the big 35-inch tires that come with Sasquatch uh, package. So here comes Jeep with a V8, which the Bronco doesn't have. Here comes uh, Wrangler with a new recon package with 35 tires. I mean, competition's good. Yep, and, and the other thing, uh, don't forget, is that is that Jeep's already got a, a hybrid on the market with the 4xe Wrangler, which has the same torque spec as the as the Hemi, as the Wrangler 392. So you've got kind of two bookend vehicles that are both pretty exciting, both on the road and off. Um, and then, yeah, you've got this massive, massive, like, established aftermarket base where even though Ford is as is going to be hypermodular as well with the Bronco and, and have tons of aftermarket support as well with the Bronco. There's still just, you know, decades of, 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 of that where Ford has to sort of like, you know, shoulder its way in and, and, and let, and let its presence be known. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, Manny, you and I were uh, on the press conference yesterday as roadkill nights was, uh, was announced and uh, it, it would, it would be fun actually one of these days to see a, uh, a Wrangler and a Bronco go down the drag strip up there in Woodward, uh, side by side. Um, but the but you you have a story on your website uh, today, Muscle Cars and Trucks, uh, that Dodge may tease a new product here on July 8th, and Dodge has been talking a lot about electric cars. How how do you uh, you know you're you're we're talking here about a a plug-in Jeep. Wrangler, you know, that's one thing, having a little battery assist. It's quite another to have an all-electric Dodge that uh, Tim Kaniskas has been talking about. Uh, what, what do you think of Dodge's future? You know, it, it, it's, it's going to be a strange balance, right, because on one end, you know, and, and Tim, Tim kind of answered uh, both of our field data, both of our questions, and answered in a similar way. Uh, he just said, stay tuned, July 8th. But with with the sort of like high octane messaging that's been sort of been pushed forward kind of since the introduction of the Hellcat engine, um, and then the I, I, I listened to you talk to uh, Bob Broderdorf earlier on the show, and you know just talking about how the, the brand's been distilled and how it's it's a basically just a, a an American muscle performance brand uh, as it stands. It's like how do you incorporate electrification? Well, you know back in 2009, I believe when Dodge introduced i believe the it was the charger hellcat widebody um at, at their what's new event in 2019 and we got a little bit of conversation with tim and you know it was at that time where he started to i think tease it out a little bit he's like you know we we he, he explained how 
electrification in Dodge's eyes would be about enhancing performance, adding performance. Uh, and then, you, you know, maybe we're seeing that sort of hardware, hardware come through with the 4xe and the Jeeps. You know, 470 pound-feet of torque is nothing to sneeze at. That's, that's scat pack levels of, of power, but you're doing it in an in a unconventional uh, powertrain uh, application. And then, you know, fast forward to 2021, and uh, I, earlier this month, I had another conversation with, an, uh, with Dodge's senior brand manager, uh, or excuse me, Mar- uh, uh, sales, uh, sales director, and he, he said, we're going to reinvent the muscle car. Basically, was the what was the was the air was the quote? You know, reinvent the muscle car. Well, well, what does that look like? And is the market going to bite? Because the, to me, the, the muscle car segment, I think people have a have a very you know basic framework of understanding what a muscle car is, and a, that usually involves sort of just this like un, like this, this this unabashed V8. Uh, performance car front engine made in america and is is electrification does electrification have have room in 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 the customer's eyes for uh for for the definition of a muscle car that's kind of the big question right and, and you're seeing sort of like other automakers you know ford and chevrolet sort of like you know dip their toes in it with the uh the the, the drag racing concepts that they have and you know, at the same time, you've got NHRA sort of opening up uh, new classes for electric electrification, electric vehicles, and drag racing. So there, there is definitely this this paradigm shift, whether or not it means the you know the end of of, of internal combustion engines, V8s, and everything. Uh, <laughs> I think a verdict's still out on that one. Um, you definitely, with uh, on a regulatory perspective, I, I'm pretty sure the, that that trajectory is that that might be the case. But in terms of, of what people are doing now with, with internal combustion engines and the aftermarket and racing and motorsports, it's still and, – and, and trucks, right? And, and there's, there's apprehension with, with electric pickup trucks uh, in terms of cost, in terms of overhead. Um, that initial price, it, it, it's a lot to swallow for, for, for truck customers who also are, you know, like muscle car buyers, a fairly conservative customer base. So – it's it's, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how that how that whole dynamic plays out in the next couple of years as everyone funnels all these resources, billions of dollars into electric vehicles. You know, Ford's got the Lightning, GM's got the Hummer, soon Silverado EV. Uh, since the Stellantis announcement, um, since the PSA FCA merger, Carlos Tavares has been pretty vocal about electrifying pretty much everything, including, you know, what what was it, uh, including Challenger and Charger for Dodge. So. It's it, it, it's an inevitability at this point, um, and we might see what that looks like uh, in uh, at least in its first its first stages on July eighth. Yeah, and the the uh, you know the gas powered V uh, eight is such a visceral thrill uh, too. You know, it's the it's the it's the sound, it's the smell, it's uh, it's really going to be interesting how to see how Dodge interprets that. Uh, with an electric lineup, uh, I, I interviewed uh, Von Gittin Jr. Uh, down in Austin as part of the Bronco program this this year and guy. or last week, and yeah, and he said the Mustang Mach E 1400 that he built with five electric motors is the most insane muscle car he's ever driven. But uh, we'll, we'll see if the you know we'll see if that visceral thrill translates. Uh, 
uh, to, to what you and I are talking about with taking the top off of the, of the Jeep and just getting into a V8. You know, there's there's no better sound. So I, I actually got a ride in the Mach-E 1400 last year, and I got to tell you, it is, it, it, it's quite the machine. It's just different. It sounds it like yeah. it's, it, it sounds like the like an like the biggest power drill you you you've ever heard. It's just this just massive just like high pitched power tool sounds. It's it's crazy. Uh, and of course, it was just wild acceleration of, and and Vaughn Jr. being the, the talented driver that he is, you know, basically trying to get me car sick doing pirouettes on the on the asphalt. It's <laughs> it, it is uh, it's a visceral experience, no doubt, but just different, you know. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch. Well, Manny, uh, appreciate you coming on the program uh, uh, this week. Uh, great to hear from you, and uh, and have fun in that Wrangler and Corvette. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Henry. It's great to talk to you again. All right, that's Manny Katakis. Uh, you can find everything he does over Muscle Car and Trucks. Great website, great looking website, one of the best looking websites uh, in the industry. Uh, check it out all, check it all out over there we're going to take a break here at the top of the hour hear from our sponsors and the, on the, and we'll be back uh, on the other side talking with James Taylor about carbon dioxide emissions The Detroit Affordable Housing Task Force is a monitor and advocate of affordable housing in the city. The task force makes policy recommendations through our city council host office president pro tempore, Mary Sheffield. The task force is a narrative tool for low-income residents to make their voices heard and to hold our elected officials accountable for the solutions to Detroit's affordable housing crisis. We are inviting you to the Solutions to the City of Detroit Housing Crisis Part 2 on Saturday, June 26, 2021 from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. The special guest speaker, Brandon Snyder, Executive Director of Detroit Action. Zoom information, meeting ID 834-620-54701, passcode 182465, phone 1-646-558-8656 or 834-620-54701. We all know Detroit families deserve a place called home that they can afford. You can contact us. Email DetroitAffordableHousingTF at gmail.com, 313-969-9115. We thank you, and we will see you on Saturday, June 26th at 1 p.m. Join WFDF 910 AM Superstation as we will be bringing you the Rocket Mortgage Classic from the Detroit Golf Club. Listen live as returning champion Bryson DeChambeau plays against Ricky Fowler, Bubba Watson, Bill Mickelson, and the rest of the field. Tune in Thursday, July 1st and Friday, July 2nd from noon to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Saturday, July 3rd and Sunday, July 4th from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. You can only listen to the Rocket Mortgage Classic on 910 AM or Sirius XM Radio. We all love fried food, but the problem is all that excess oil and fat can cause you to become overweight. Well, now there's the Cook Light Aero Fryer, an amazing kitchen miracle that uses air to fry instead of oil. So you can have the same delicious flavor and crispiness of deep frying using little or no oil. Get that deep fried taste and crispiness with up to 70% fewer calories. Enjoy crispy, delicious fries with little or no oil. 